I'm on the phone today with Candlin Johnson. Welcome to the class, Candlin. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. Candlin is currently the deputy campaign manager on the People Not Politicians ballot measure. Uh, she's Rebecca Tweed's deputy. So, Candlin, before I get into some questions about your experience, why don't you just tell us about what you've done in terms of campaigns in your life as a political activist? Sure. So, uh, my life as a political advocate, uh, advocate started back when I was a freshman in college. I um, got involved with the Oregon Students Association, which is a statewide nonprofit that organizes and advocates for students across the state of Oregon. And during that, one of the biggest campaigns that OSA does is voter registration, education, get out the vote efforts. And so I ran three voter registration and education campaigns, both at Lynn Benton and Oregon State University, where I registered at Oregon State over 4,500 students to vote, and we made over 9,000 contacts across the state to get people to get their ballots turned in. We uh, also organized lots of tuition freeze protests, board of, um, a board of trustees protests, testimony collection, and advocacy at the state and at the state capitol, and also in Washington D.C. And so, a lot of my time in organizing was a lot of sharing information with students because a lot of students didn't know that they, there was about to be a vote to increase their tuition, and uh, also helping them really share their story and their voice. Uh, a lot of times I think organizing is also storytelling and, and sharing of and helping others be able to share their stories and, and giving platforms for that. And so that's the organizing experience that I have had before um, People Not Politicians. So in doing that work, which is, you know, it's, it's great work and that's, those are big numbers of registrations and all that stuff. Um, what would you say are the two or three biggest challenges that you faced doing that kind of uh, organizing and advocacy? Right. So I found three, and these are in no particular order, but these are ones that I've found throughout my time working on campaigns, both statewide and local campaigns. The first one, and this one's probably the most commonly heard of one, and that's just burnout. Um, it takes a lot of emotional and physical energy to engage with people and manage the groundwork of a campaign. Typical organi organizers work over 60 hours a week and have to be reminded to eat and sleep. Uh, that's just the truth. That's definitely so, something I've heard from a lot of people for sure. And I'm, it's, good to yes. hear, it's good to hear it from you again also. It's a, a good reminder. It's, it's not just your personal experience. That's a widespread experience. It's a widespread experience. The The second thing that I, I found really frustrating, and I still find frustrating working on campaigns, is when people think that they're above the groundwork. Uh, these are people who say they want to help the campaign, get involved, and yet they're not willing to make phone calls. They're not willing to hit the streets or to make those cold contacts. They think they're above that. And every person in a campaign needs to be all in or the campaign doesn't hit their goals. And no one is above canvassing or phone banking. At some point, you will have to talk to strangers in order to grow your coalition. And it really frustrates me to no end. And this might be something personal for me, but I highly doubt you won't find another organizer that also just doesn't find that also uh doesn't find this frustrating because this is very frustrating from an organizer when someone says, well, I just don't think that we can get our volunteers to phone bank. 
So how do you address that challenge? What, what do you do to, to, to get across that gap? I think it's important to, I think it's important to get people to recognize that without doing that groundwork, without getting down in the dirt, without being on the ground, you won't grow your coalition, that this won't happen. And really, those tasks that are not very fun, sometimes it can be really hard to learn at first because it is scary. Uh, The other thing is just mentorship. So being super supportive of new volunteers and being there for them and having really, really strong mentorship and leadership development can help take a volunteer who's really scared to be on the ground and help them feel like they're being supported step-by-step through that process. So that that's what I picked as my second biggest challenge because it's frustrating and it also takes a lot of time. Before you move on to your third one, um, do you have an estimate about how many people or what percentage of people you actually lose from the campaign who say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to do it, who just walk away rather than actually sort of bite the bullet and accept that that's the trenches they have to be in? Ooh, that is a fun organizing vocab word uh, called the rule of halves. So the rule of halves in organizing means that if you want, say, 100 people to, uh, to show up to an event, you actually have to recruit twice that amount of people. And then that many people that said yes, you need to actually talk to twice that amount of people as initial outreach. Because the rule of have says that uh, every single step of the outreach process, half of them are going to not be retained. They're going to drop off. So uh, of the people that come in and want to do work and then they find out that they have to do phone banking and they have to do this kind of uh, grunt work, you lose about half of those on in general. In general, I would say uh, as you get more deep in the campaign, uh, it it's higher than half. Um, but rule of halves, I would say, is minimum for retention and recruitment efforts. It's definitely a starting point when you want to think about how much organizing work it's going to take to get a volunteer base. Gotcha. Okay, so what's your third challenge? My third challenge is lack of strong structure or leadership in the campaign. No matter how good the idea the concept is, no matter how strong the polling is and how many people are going to support your idea, if you have ineffective leaders or an unbalanced coalition, it will not succeed. So roles in the campaign campaign need to be super clear. Planning needs to be broken down into smaller, achievable, smart goals. Leadership needs to be balanced, a balanced group who have a combined skills. And the example I give is not everyone is great at knowing how to communicate with the press or some people are great with data. Others could literally convince a stranger to eat a sock. (laughs) So find everyone's strengths and get them to focus on that and create a balanced coalition. If you have leadership that all has one skill and there's not enough of another, you're going to find that there's, there's some gaps in the coalition and it's going to start to break down. Well, that's uh, that's great. Those are those sound like three pretty significant challenges. Um, I want to go to the sort of the other end of the extreme and, and ask you, what are some of the mundane tasks that are involved in uh, grassroots organizing and campaigning? Yeah, so the dirt work, getting on the ground. So uh, tracking outreach data and progress to your goals takes a surprising amount of labor and time, but it's also one of the most important tasks 
in the entire campaign. Data tracking your progress is extremely important because if it's not consistent, the entire campaign can fall apart. It takes an entire team to manage data because those people are the ones who are making sure at the end of the day whether we know whether we made any progress and what we can do to be more efficient and to succeed in hitting our goals in the future. So that's one of the mundane tasks that I would say is one of the most important tasks of the campaign. And what kind of data are you talking about and how is it being collected? So when I'm thinking of outreach data, I'm thinking of how many people did you talk to today? Just one person, right? How many petition signatures were gathered? How many volunteers were recruited? How many, and then not only that, but of those volunteers you recruited, what are their names? What are their numbers? What are their interests, right? All of that needs to be collected. How many organizations, new organizations did you talk to? What is their status? Do they need to be followed up with? Who should follow up with them, right? It is a ginormous amount of data, and it's just a multitude of spreadsheets after spreadsheets after spreadsheets and lots of pieces of paper. Um, And it just... It takes a lot more than people realize to actually collect it all. Well, it, sound, it does sound like it's very important for reaching your goals to have that kind of data. So uh, what are some of the other mundane tasks? Or is that pretty much talking the, to, it? Oh, no, I have more. Yeah, okay, I have more. Yeah, you have so more. Talking, so <laughs> talking to strangers face-to-face, uh, whether that be on a clipboard, at a tabling event, uh, on the phone, or during an event, The only way to hit your goals and expand your coalition is by meeting new people. And that tends to be the scariest part of joining a new campaign as like a volunteer is, is just getting out there and talking to people who maybe be apathetic or trying to get their attention or, you know, talking cold, what I call cold outreach. So people you don't have a connection with, right? You have to build that connection. And that is a really scary thing to learn how to do for the first time. Uh, or to keep practicing. I mean, no matter how many times you've phone banked, the first time you pick up the phone for a phone bank session, you have a little bit of anxiety because you're like, I'm about to reach out to a bunch of people who I do not know, right? It, it causes a little bit of anxiety, but again, would not be able to happen. You would not be able to grow your coalition without those people making those phone calls, talking to those strangers. And so that's a big one. Right. It, and it does. Have, it sounds mundane. Yeah. How, how many more do you have? Do you actually have a numbered list or you're just going to keep going? I do. <laughs> I have two more. I love how organized you are. That's that, that's you have I, you I have that skill. For this. That's great. I, yes, I planned for this. I had a, a whole spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> one spreadsheet. spreadsheet? <laughs> uh, yeah, just for this one. Yeah. One spreadsheet. So communication. Every word matters. Much of your time as an organizer is creating trainings and content for others to use, whether that be crafting an email draft, a phone banking script, or a press release. Wordsmithing and making sure that all your communications are consistent to the messaging of the campaign is a lot of grunt work and usually it has its own team. Yeah, but again, it sounds these mundane tasks do sound extremely important. You don't you don't want to send out communications that are grammatically poor or that have a voice that uh, is at variance with other communications you're sending out. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last one is just the step-by-step process of building your coalition. So coalitions are successful when they are led by the community that is being most impacted by the issue. So building a strong coalition means connecting and reconnecting with your community and surrounding communities or finding someone in your community who is connected to the communities that you're not. And that takes a lot of time. 
often campaigns will find themselves stuck, I think, uh, because they're spending large amounts of time trying to get important people at the table and finding very little to no return. And usually I find that's because those people that they're trying to get involved and get a seat at the table were not invited soon enough. Oh, yeah. So that, that also sounds like it involves planning as well as, you know, generating that kind of network. And being self-aware of where your campaign is at and what communities it's representing right now and what communities it isn't, right? I think it's important to, at the very beginning of creating a coalition, you have the people that are most impacted by the issue at the table from the start that are helping build that coalition. If that's absent and you move along, you're going to start to really notice when you're taking a lot of time building that it's because you didn't have all of the people at the table that should have been from the beginning. And do you find that uh, you run into people um, that you run into animosity from people that should have been included earlier and weren't, and then now they're annoyed or actually outright pissed at you? Uh, or, or can you overcome that kind of animosity? Or sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. I think when you think about connections, I think that there's a level of, there's trust built in a connection, right? And if you don't have a connection with that community, and I think this often happens with coalitions that are trying to get people at the table who they don't identify in that community with, there's not that level of trust that's been built. And so there's a, there can be animosity there because they're saying, you just want us at the table now so that you can say that there is a group that represents people of color in your coalition. You're trying to tokenize us, right? Whereas if you would have included them at the very beginning of the process, they might not have felt that way. Oh, yeah. That, that totally makes a lot of sense. Um, so th that's your list of Monday tasks? Yes, it is. Great. Well, then I'm, I'm going to move on to uh, a, a different type of question, which is what is something that you have personally found either surprising or unexpected that you've learned doing this grassroots work? Uh, like. It, maybe it blew a misconception of yours or it was just something you didn't expect. So what's something surprising or unexpected? Sometimes it's better to get something done than it to be perfect. That was surprising to you. It, it is because often you want the words to be perfect. You want the, you want the group to be perfect. And although I agree that you need to make sure you have everyone at the table. At some point, there's timelines, there's restrictions, there are things that just need to get done. And your job as an organizer, you're the person who's getting that stuff done. You're the person who's checking the things off the to-do list, who literally the campaign wouldn't function without you, right? And so sometimes it's better to just say it was done than it to be perfect. And it's important for you to not keep stalling on projects because you don't think it's good enough because then it means it's not happening at all. Right. I've, and, I've been trying to live by the produce don't perfect uh, ethos, especially, you know, when I'm doing all these now remote instruction and it, it's challenging. Do you find it challenging to live into the produce don't perfect uh, ethos or is it, have you gotten pretty good at it? I, I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Um, I find that what's frustrating to me is when I have other uh, people on the grassroots team who have not gotten there. And so, you know, we'll be crafting an email to send to third party members and it takes us two weeks to craft an email. Wow. And I'm like, get this done. Like with my hands, I'm clapping, you know. <laughs> 
And how do you uh, how do you address that kind of gap between you know what you know needs to be done in terms of production and not perfecting when somebody wants to perfect it? What do you do? Most of the time, I find it might be because there's too many people at the table. Sometimes when you delegate, you need to find out who are the people that are actually going to get it done. And after you've gotten input from everyone who needs to, cut that list down. If there's some people who have really valuable insight and things to say who've already helped you in in crafting whatever you were crafting or doing whatever you were doing, but they're stalling the project from being completed, create a subcommittee, cut it out. That's interesting. Get less people involved. I like that because I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, you know, um, coalition building and delegating, but you're t- kind of talking about sometimes you have to go the opposite direction to, in order to be able to move forward. That's a, that's an in, that is an interesting and to me surprising insight. And it's it's more of an insider insight, right? There's a lot of it's very complex because not you you want to make sure that nobody in your coalition feels like they aren't being heard, right? But there's also like I said, everyone has roles. Everyone has things that they're naturally really good at. You, If someone's really good at data, you're not going to ask them for advice on how you should talk to OPB. Right. Because they don't have experience talking with the press. They're not as good with wordsmithing as they are building you a beautiful spreadsheet. So everyone has roles. And I think that when you establish those roles and they're clear and concise, people won't be offended when you didn't ask for their opinion on how to words how to wordsmith this press release. Right, so that you have to make your expectations clear too so that somebody who's not really going to have input on wordsmithing doesn't feel left out when they're not asked. Exactly. And I'm just trying to create examples. Obviously there are big decisions and then there are little decisions, which is why it's really really important to to create those clear expectations. The other thing that I that I wrote is that a lot of campaign work is just due diligence and that can be really frustrating sometimes. And I gave an example of something that I have a hard time with. So for instance, I have to meet with a Senator, even though I know there's absolutely no way in hell that they're going to support the campaign. So I feel like, why am I even doing this? This is a waste of time. They're basically just going to shut me down. But it's a lot of it has to be done just because it needs to be done. Because if I don't meet with that senator who I know is going to oppose me, then I'm giving my opposition the chance to craft that language for me. Right. Well, that's, right? that's interesting. Yeah. That, so it's, it, it, while you're not going to get support, it is, there is a productive purpose to it. Because you need to control your messaging. You need to be able to control what's being said about you at least once, right? If you never went there and they never heard it from you, they're only going to hear from the opposition. And so sometimes, even if it feels completely useless, I call it due diligence. You have to control the messaging in any way you can, and you need to have said that you did it, you tried. Right, well, that sounds like it goes on the mundane task list, or maybe not mundane so much as just uh, thankless task list. It is. There's lots of thankless tasks, honestly. It is a lot of thankless work, which so, is why burnout happens. So, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw uh, a question in here that, that I didn't uh, give you in advance, which is, like, 
what counterbalances all of this uh, like thankless, mundane, challenging tasks? What, how come people do this work? And you know what's interesting is I answered that question at the end of this question. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> you're, you see, Kendall, <laughs> like you're on the same brain link. Well, no, you're just way ahead of me. You're so prepared that you even knew a question that I hadn't told you I was going to ask that I asked. That's good. That's, yes, you're, you're, I did. You're on top of it. So when you're mid-campaign and you feel like you don't have enough time in the day, and sometimes it's honestly just a total strain on your body, you've strained it to the limits, when you hit that goal or you accomplish that big campaign milestone, it's all worth it. It's when, when you organize a protest, and there are 50-plus people from all corners, of your campus that come together and advocate against tuition freezes and you hear all of those stories come out and see all that bravery, it was worth those hours and hours of phone calls and recruiting and messaging and organizing that you did to get there because you provided a platform for people to be able to share their stories. To me, organizing is about providing a platform for people to be able to speak. It's it's making sure that there's an equitable amount of knowledge being shared, right? It's about education. It's about making sure everyone can make an educated decision. And it's about leadership, and it's about providing that opportunity for others to succeed. And, of course, winning. <laughs> it's about winning. It's about get, hitting those goals. Well, I'm glad you said that. It's, you know, don't forget that, right, that it, in fact, there is, this is, it's a competitive endeavor, and you do want to win. How do you handle exactly. how do you handle loss cuz everybody who has spent any time in politics has told me you have to be prepared to lose and if the first time you lose if that takes you down uh, that's you're going to you're going to get washed out so how do you how do you take the losing if the winning is like the juice that keeps you from you know succumbing to the mundanity of it Right I think you have to redefine what winning and losing means when I spent hours and hours and hours organizing an event and I get two people to show up, that's pretty disheartening. I can imagine. Right? But those two people could become the next person who leads a campaign, right? They could become one of the key people in, in, your, in your efforts. And so I think it, you need to just redefine what is success and what is failure. Often I find that, especially as you get really into it, you, you're too hard on yourself and you don't see the little, the little successes, right? And so what I say is that if I, if I recruited at least one new person, if I did everything that I could, and if we changed hearts and minds, that's a success. Yeah, that makes, and that's a, that makes win. a lot of sense. Yeah, and I can see that it it's right important to see what you're doing as inherently winning, even if you don't win, say, the election or you don't uh, get the change in the legislature that you're uh, lobbying for. That just being involved and spreading the word and getting people more aware is is itself a kind of a victory. You know, short of the one you wanted, but it's still not nothing. Exactly. So I have one last question for you, and I, I think that you've kind of answered this question a lot with what you said, is uh, what kinds of skills and attitudes do you think people doing grassroots organizing need to possess to be successful? And you've, you've talked about a lot of different skills. Uh, are there any that you haven't gotten to that you'd like to add to your list? 
So some of them I feel like are more basic skills and some of them were attitudes. I just kind of wrote the ones that I felt like were the most important. The first one is seems really, really obvious, but you need to be good at public speaking. You need to be good at, at talking to complete strangers. I call it the elevator pitch. If you can talk about your campaign or your mission or your coalition in the time that it takes to go up the elevator with someone, you have perfected what is called the elevator pitch. And you will use elevator pitches when you're on the campaign clock and not on the campaign clock. You're, when you're organizing, you're always on the campaign clock, by the way. And, um, well, you and know, so I'd I, say crafting that elevator pitch is a really important skill. Well, I, I want to say that, so I've interviewed, I interviewed a couple of days ago, Tara Musselman, and she's part of the, the same week's material for the students. And she's, she's your intern. She's an intern for you and Rebecca. And I noticed throughout the interview, and I mentioned this when I spoke to Rebecca on the phone, that Tara slipped into her elevator pitch. I called it her stump speech a couple of times and it was so natural and it was quick and it was, it was, she was on message. So that's a result of training. And, exactly. And she and, was trainable in that way, but it was a result of an intention mm-hmm. on the part of both you and Rebecca to like, you know, she was never off the clock. Yeah. There was never a moment where she wasn't thinking I have to speak on behalf mm-hmm. of the campaign. Every, when you're an organizer, every opportunity is an opportunity to recruit. Every opportunity is an opportunity to put in that hard ask. There is never a time when you don't have information about the campaign or the coalition on you. There should always be a hard ask at the end. There should always, you should never let someone leave without them having something that they need to do and come back to you for. And so that's another just elevator pitch. It's making sure that there's always that hard ask at the end. And And that was the second thing that I wrote. Right. And I can see how that's an important attitude that even if you're not on the clock officially, like you're at the headquarters making phone calls, you're, you, you have to have the attitude that I 100% of the time embody the campaign, even exactly. if I'm not officially working. That's, and that, is, that's, that, I imagine, is kind of a rare attitude. I think it's an essential attitude. You're going to get more, I would say, you're going to, I don't know, I, there's just... I don't even see how you can work on a campaign and not end up being that way. (laughs) Like to me, it just is so you just embody it. You become it. Campaign equals life. Like there is nothing else until it's over. Right. And that might be why the rule of halves is true. Yeah. (laughs) That's why the rule of halves obtains is because, you know, it's evolutionary. Half the people can't embody the campaign. And so they have, they get out. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly what happens. Um, the other thing I wrote is backwards planning and making smart goals. And the, in order to celebrate small successes, you need your goals to be both achievable, measurable. You need to have a goal for each day, for each week, for each month. You need to be able to get to that end game and the smaller and more achievable, the more you break down your goal, the more success you're going to feel as an organizer. Yeah, that's and, that, and that's actually like that's a skill that you have to have to be able to do that. But also, that's just n- knowing that that's part of the process. Uh, exactly, it is a part of the process. The other thing that I think is really important, and it kind of seems it, when I wrote when I when I was thinking about it, I was like, ah, oh, this is this is super obvious. But I usually find that people who don't uh, who who kind of drop out of the campaign 
uh, it's because they don't like people, <laughs> and I can see that they don't know that they don't like people, and this field just isn't for them. And oftentimes, when people work on a campaign, they find out through working on the campaign, wow, this is not for me. I don't like people. <laughs> um, and so overall, if you hate people, which it's okay if you hate people, yeah, not everyone can love people, and you shy away from confrontation, this job is not for you and it will crush you. It'll crush your very soul. <laughs> but that's something that, I mean, you said that people think they like people until they get on a campaign and then they find out they don't. So you can't necessarily know in advance if that's if that's who you are. I mean, if you know that you hate people, don't go in in the first place, but you may find out something about yourself that you didn't know beforehand. It sounds like what you're saying. Exactly. It, almost indefinitely, you will find out how much you like people by the end of a campaign. Um, and you might have to take a break and recharge your, your people liking battery because by the end of the campaign, you will find you have zero tolerance for people and you need to recharge. I could see that. Well, you know, I, I also, from my personal experience, I would say that the amount of liking of people that uh, an individual has can, can change over time because honestly, I spent a lot of my adult life not liking people and I'm in a people business, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor, I'm constantly around people. Um, but I've learned or developed, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's maturity or, or I've learned something or I've just had different experiences. I like people a lot more than I ever have in my life over the last few years. And so it can grow. Mm -hmm. It's not a given. You're not, it's not just like, oh no, I'm, I'm 25. I worked in a campaign. I hated people and I could never go into a people business again. Maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe that's true for you forever, but maybe that can change as well. Yes. I think it's a lot of self-knowledge as well. And I had one other one, okay. and that is delegation. Do not be a lone wolf. Some organizers get to the point where they're like, if I need something to get done, I obviously have to do it myself. And that is how you get burnt out 110%. The best way to, get, to, to prevent burnout is to build leadership development into your coalition and into your campaign. There needs to be someone to replace you. There needs to be, you need to be a, if you're a leader of the campaign, you need to be a mentor for others and you need to delegate. You need to create a supportive team. You cannot be a lone wolf. You cannot do everything by yourself. Right, and those two skills sound, you know, they're both skills and attitudes. The ability to delegate is one thing, to know who to give it to, but also then the attitude of being able to decide that you're going to delegate. And then mentoring is a very challenging skill, like the ability to take what you know and pass it along to other people and, and, and develop their ability to do what you already do well, either naturally or because you have a lot of experience. That's, that's hard. Uh, to be, it is. Being a mentor, like you need a mentor to teach you how to be a mentor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but in my opinion, the strongest organizations, the ones that have lasted the longest, that are continuing to fight for, for different people in Oregon today, the people who are always there representing their communities, are people who've built in leadership development into their organization and into their coalition. Well, that's very good. Uh, that's good advice. Uh, and I want to thank you for not only speaking with me on the phone today, but for being so thorough and organized and clear in all the things you have to say. Uh, it, this has been a delight, and I just know the students are going to love hearing this. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much again for having me.